Tonight our, uh, we have two scripture passages, and the first is from Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Josh. Good evening, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. I'm the pastor of Bethany Community Church North. I'm really glad to be with you all tonight as we continue in our series called Constant, where we've been looking at different themes, God's themes throughout scriptures. And originally, as we had talked about it, we had said, we really want our people to look at certain themes through the entirety of Scripture. So week after week, we're looking at different themes, and starting at the beginning of the Scriptures to the end, what does God's Word say about these themes? Let me, before I pray, let me just warn us that it's easy with these big themes to find ourselves thinking about them, but knowing, or not knowing necessarily how to step into it and how to act. And tonight as we engage the topic of justice, the, my biggest goal for all of us in the room, those looking online, uh, that we would find ourselves in the story, that we would find ourselves in the scriptures, that men, women, young and old, that tonight we would hear our Lord speaking to us. So towards that end, would you bow your heads and we'll pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the moments ahead to, uh, Father, open our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts. And Father, as we engage this topic of justice, we pray that you would continue to reveal your heart to us, your people. And we confess tonight that we're imperfect beings. We're broken vessels. But Lord, it's your truth we want to hear tonight. So reveal yourself. We're listening. We're ready. Lord, we want to hear you speak. In your great name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. So the topic tonight is justice. And um, what Bethany uh, has done in the last six years is launch, as you know, five other campuses in different parts of the city. I pastored a church up in Shoreline called Bethany North. And some years ago, we took an old strip club and renovated it and turned it into the Junction. It's a coffee shop during the day, and then we use it for ministry space at night. And then our church offices are in the back. It's a beautiful partnership. Uh, the coffee shop pays the church rent. From, we, from those uh, proceeds, then we uh, give back to our high school students. We serve lunch, and we do a breakfast for homeless people on Tuesday morning. It's, it, it, it just, it's a just place. 
I mean, you just walk in, and it's kind of a mess sometimes, but it's really just. And I kind of got to be part of all that, you know? So um, during the day, it's a coffee shop, and at night, we use it for ministry space. So last year, almost a year ago to the day, dark, wet, rainy, October night, and, and I was going to the junction late, well, yeah, like 8.30, 9 o'clock. I'm old, so that's late for me. Uh, and I was picking up my daughter because it was tween night. They were gathering to study the Bible and play and whatever. And I circled the building to go pick up my daughter. And there, on the eve of the backside of the property, there's a man in a wheelchair, actually out of his wheelchair, face down on the pavement. Now, I'm in my vehicle. It's pouring rain. I, I'm sitting there, and, and, and I know this guy on the ground. He, he, he's a difficult sort of guy. He's a prickly pair of sorts. He, he's... He struggles with addiction, like many of our customers uh, that when we're serving breakfast on Tuesday morning, many people from the methadone clinic down the street. Um, and this guy, he's, he's a tough one. And so I sat there in my car and I thought, man, you know, isn't it enough that my church like did this project? Isn't it enough that, you know, that I, I try to be a person thinking about justice? Like tonight, just one night on this dark and rainy night, maybe this isn't my problem to solve. And so I started to drive away. Like, seriously, you're like, wow, I can't believe he's telling us that. Like, I stop. I get 10 feet away, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a Bible verse about this. You just heard it. (laughs) I'm like, you hypocrite. Like, you get up and preach the scriptures, and you're really, the guy's out of his chair, you know? And thank you for not like throwing tomatoes at me right now. But like, you know, it, it, this question of how do we interact in the face of injustice is really the, the key thing that we're going to address tonight. And with this guy, I mean, I, I got out of my car and I, and I walked over and he said, do you have any coffee? And I said, sir, you know, I know his name and I call him by name. I said, the coffee shop's all closed, but come back in the morning, we'll have coffee for you. And I helped him back into the chair I said, but you can't sleep here. Let me, do you need help getting to a shelter? Do you need food? He said, I don't. And then I wish, I, I wish the story was like this. And then I led him back to the bathroom and baptized him. He's now on my staff, chief evangelist. That's not how it went. I mean, he kind of wheeled off into the night. And we remain in relationship with him because it's messy. Like working in justice, working with addicted people, working with people of the streets. If any of you are in social work today, you know, like, it's messy stuff. We remain in relationship with him. But I knew that that night God wanted me to be acting with a just act to just simply help him back into his chair. And, and, and my, my point of emphasis tonight, church, is that sometimes we, we, we think a lot about that which we believe. But when we engage justice, it's, it's perhaps the biggest place where Jesus says, I don't care what you think. I care what you did. And so as we look at the scriptures tonight, we're going to be talking about justice. And, and quite often, justice gets looked at as more of a, a synonym for fairness. But in, in actuality, what God speaks about when he talks about justice is the order God seeks to reestablish in his creation where all people receive the benefits of life with him. When God speaks about justice, it's not about fairness, and it's not about being relevant, and it's definitely not about being cool. God wants people to experience justice to increase their capacity to be in relationship with him. It's what it's all about. 
And sometimes we think that justice might be a Northwest term, you know, we have the coexist bumper sticker. It's not. Or is this an American ideal and justice for all? It is not. The very, the very notion of justice comes to the world through our God. The very, the very notion of how we know what justice is comes to us from the scriptures. This is God's character. Because in the scriptures, there's two Hebrew words that are translated as justice, one Greek word. These three words are used over 1,000 times in our Bible. So does God care about justice? He does a great deal, friends. And my hope tonight, as we, as we look at the scriptures, is that, is that we will too. And, and, and largely, a lot of, my, a lot of people that I, I care a great deal about, people are kind of wrestling with the future of the church and how do we make the church relevant again? And why do, you know, why do 20-somethings leave the church? It's not 20-somethings. It's 30-somethings and 40-somethings. People start leaving the church because they begin to ask, what does this matter anymore? Does this matter anymore? Does our faith activate us to be people on mission? And in their recent book called Good Faith, Kinnaman and Lyons, who are the big researchers studying why people are leaving the church, they say this in Good Faith, too many Christians have substituted comfortable living for a life changed by the gospel, and this leads to disengagement, because the world doesn't care what we think, they care what we do, and the world is watching, it's watching. And so we will look at tonight this big idea that God deeply cares about justice for his world and he intends on you doing just acts out of your growing obedience to him. Like that's the framework that we're gonna look at justice. It's not in order to understand more of God's love for us. It's not earning God's love. It's not us trying to, you know, kind of reach Seattle by being more just. It's not a program. No, justice is at the very core of God's character and so as his people if we're going to be growing in our obedience to him God's calling us to understand tonight that there are steps of justice he's calling us to make someone this morning up at Bethany North where I preached this morning people good friends people I love very deeply they shared their story in Zambia and their daughter got to name an orphan and she named the baby justice and you know we had this amazing story and I will confess that many people hear that story and like, I don't, I don't go to Zambia very often. Friends, the message tonight is, is for you, in your dorm rooms, in your, in your studies, as you go to Amazon or Boeing or back to the university, wherever God sends you, may you be encouraged to think about his character being one of justice and you continuing to take acts of justice out of a growing obedience to him. Let's look at this four-part outline that we've done throughout this sermon series. If you have your notes with you or if you have your booklet, we've been looking at this four-part you know, heartbeat. The, 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 there's creation and then disruption and then the hope of Christ and ultimate culmination. Let's look at the creation. You know, what did God's vision for a just world look like? And sometimes we, we mistakenly, you talk to people when they say, well, you know, I'm kind of more of a New Testament Christian because when I see the Old Testament, there seems like a lot of, you know, death and, and sometimes slavery and I don't know what to do with that. But when you actually study the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, friends, it's full of God's instructions for how to create justice for all. 
In, in Deuteronomy 15, God tells his people that there need be no poor among you, for the land your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. That says there doesn't need to be poor. There will be enough for all. And one Hebrew scholar, uh, Abraham Heschel, said about this, that being just is not just one of God's ways, but it's in all of God's ways. And so throughout Deuteronomy, when God's saying, hey, when you get to the land I'm going to give you, I want you to set up a society in which there's, there's equal access for all. The people will have access into the community. And, and he continues on, the vision for justice that God gives in Deuteronomy 15. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, if any of the towns of the land the Lord God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. It's like God knows us so well. We of the closed fist. This is, our, this is our life, many of us. We're clutching and grabbing for meaning and status and provision. And, and we're worried that if we open up our hands and we, and we act with justice out of our time or our resources or out of compassion, that somehow we'll be more depleted. And God said from the beginning, it says you open your hands along to fill you. To be, to be richly blessed in order to be a blessing for others. It's what the story has always been. That continues on in Deuteronomy in this creation for a just world. Do not consider it hardship to set your servant free because their service to you these six years has been twice as much as that of a hired hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. 2,500 years ago, to be instructed to set your servant free is about one of the most countercultural things in the Old Testament. But God was telling his people, trust me, open your hand. There's enough for me to put in there as you love and act with justice for people that you're doing business with, people that you're studying with, people that you're riding the bus with, people that you're walking with, people that you live near. God's saying, open your hand. This is what my story has always been. And Tim Keller, the oft-repeated evangelical pastor, says about God's heart for justice, he says, the Bible is a book devoted to justice in the world from first to last. And the Bible gives us not just a naked call to care about justice, but gives us everything we need, motivation and guidance and inner joy and the power to live a just life. And so we do justice out of receiving God's love for us and knowing God's love for others. This is the command. God, as I understand your love for me, it allows me to do justice and participate in just acts in the lives of others. In Zambia, in Seattle, in Shoreline, in Costa Rica. I mean, we disengage sometimes because we know the story happening internationally is so hard for a Monday morning engagement of our life. But the scriptures say it's as you step out and doing just acts for others that God says, that's where, the, that's where the good stuff of your faith is truly activated. And over and over again in the prophets where we have you know, the Torah and the wisdom literature and then the prophets before the New Testament, the prophets' major complaint against the nation of Israel was the fact that they hadn't practiced the commands to justice. And the prophets over and over again said, you know, Israel, you've, you've missed out. You, you've, you've practiced certain parts of the law, but you've missed God's heart for justice. In Jeremiah 9, the prophet Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understand and knows me, 
that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and social justice on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. We can say to the world, God loves you, but how do we show it? We act with justice. And there's many, many times where, you know, we can look back at places where the church has got it wrong. We know enough of that narrative. Times where the church, you know, enslaved others or came in with colonialism or, you know, times where the church just blew it out of their own humanity. There's also been these beautiful, poignant moments in our history when God's people have followed the command to justice and entire cultures were changed. For example, in Alexandria, in, in ancient Egypt, it was this growing Roman town, and there was this, there was this horrible plague that set over Alexandria. And, and at its height, over 5,000 people a day were, were, were dying in Alexandria. Huge city, thousands dead, people littered on the streets, and anyone with means, any of the clutchers and grabbers, you, I mean, you would get out of Alexandria as fast as you could. Because what would you be doing there? There's only death if you stay. But you know what the church was doing? The church, our church, the church was heading into town, into downtown as everyone else was leaving. Why? Because there was babies in the center of town under the statue of Zeus. There was literally babies that needed to be nursed because their mothers had died. And so women that were biologically capable would, would serve as, as wet nurses to feed these babies and take them on as their own. And what were the men doing, deacons of the church? They were walking the streets looking for babies to bring back towards the women. This is what the church was doing. And later, once the plague passed, the church continued to grow because as the Bishop of Alexandria wrote, most of our brothers in 260 AD, most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. And as Clement of Alexandria would later reflect, for when you've seen your brother, you have seen your God. And so, as God's people We're called to be heading into town in the worst of conditions to say, I still believe that my life counts. And I still believe that God is calling us to just acts to show his power to the world. There's been this false dichotomy, though, that's arisen. Will we do just acts or will we preach the gospel? You sometimes hear this with you know, soup kitchens and social agencies. Will we, will we just serve the, the cup of cool water for, for people that are thirsty or will we, will we give a message and a proclamation? And Jesus says over and over again in scriptures, they're one and the same. Because as Keller says, doing justice is inseparably connected to preaching grace because our words about Jesus become more powerful when we live lives of justice. Because the world will look at you and say, they've got that special something. They've got that light of life in their eyes. And I want that. I want more of that. I mean, many of us in the room were raised, you know, with kind of this Christian piety upbringing that we would be defined by that which we're against. We would be defined by personal discipleship. And and we didn't get a lot of teaching, many of us growing up in the church, about the power of justice. And if we did, it it was a social program for other people that you could sign up for next Thursday night. But no, we didn't understand that God's character calls us to learn more of his great love in doing acts of justice. 
But we have the words of scripture, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Act, love, walk. Or as the message paraphrases it, but he's already made it plain how to live and what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And so I ask you this morning, I don't know a ton of you in the audience, do you take God serious? When the scriptures say, this is what's commanded of you, do you take God serious? I'm sure many of you do. I'm sure many of you are are taking this this do, act, walk mindset of Micah 6.8 to to encourage you into acts of justice. I want to encourage you tonight. And as a practical step, because I think much of this series we can get a bit ethereal, a practical step towards this creation of God's heart for justice. Let me give you a practical step number one. Love your neighbor. When the Greek word neighbor is used, it actually means somebody that's just close to us. So you don't have to go to Africa this week. Love the one that God puts in front of you. Love your neighbor. Like whether it's your roommate, whether it's somebody in your family of origin that you live with, maybe it's somebody at your, at your workplace, maybe it's in your literal neighborhood. We all have people that are hard to love. God says, do justice and love your neighbor. That's what the scriptures tell us there in Luke 10. Love your neighbor. Some time ago, I got a phone call from, from a guy at, at Bethany North, and he said, you know, I've got this neighbor, and he's really hurting. He's very depressed, and I'm worried he's suicidal. We, we talked it over, and we made a plan, and we talked about intervention, and, and uh, we prayed together, and we were going to you know, meet back up about this guy. And then the more I prayed and thought about it, I, I called my friend back up, and I said, you know, your, your guy in your neighborhood, he doesn't, he doesn't need a pastor tonight. He needs a neighbor. Go over there and knock on the door and invite him into your home and, and just pray for him and be present to him and make sure that he's in a good, safe place with no weapons and start to do life with him. And it was so fun to see this parishioner get mobilized to justice in his neighborhood. Well, several months ago, his neighbor is alive and doing well, looking for work, trying to turn the corner. It's, it's messy. So if any of you struggled with depression, you know it's not a quick fix. But justice calls us to practically love those closest to us. That's the story of creation. But then there's the always disruption. In the scriptures, though God has commanded us to live a certain way, that, that there's, we live in a disrupted world. God gives these commands in Deuteronomy about setting slaves free and about setting the the land free and jubilee every 50 years and all this. And most scholars agree it's likely that Israel never took those commands serious. Or if they did, they practiced maybe once, no more than twice. Because it's hard to do just acts with our world. And so Israel models this kind of disrupted, disjointed life of living outside of what God commanded them. And we see this in the scriptures in, in Genesis 4 where, where Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy. Later in Genesis 4, there's another murder where this man named Lamech says, I, I killed a man for just disparaging me. We become so angry and violent and with violence at our hands that this man Lamech, he, he just killed a man. There's such a disruption from the original order. And it says 
A couple chapters later in Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness was of the human race and had become on the earth and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And it says that God mourned our very creation because we can be angry and we can be violent and we live in a disrupted world and we see evidence of this all around we see evidence. It's almost like if I had the wheel of fortune, it's like, what issue do we want to talk about tonight? Let's spin the wheel. Let's pick one. We live in one of the most racially divided times of recent memory. In July, all of the teaching pastors, we gathered in the central part of the state. We had this beautiful little cabin on the river, and we were, you know, fellowshipping, and we were, you know, reading scriptures and planning our sermon series, and it was all, it was fine. And, and then we heard there was a, a killing of an African-American man in Louisiana and then in Minneapolis, and on the final night of our retreat, we turned the TV on, and it's the shooting in Dallas that night. And we all just, you know, we prayed, and then we went to bed just so heartbroken. We said, we got to do something. And so some of the pastors here, we started to mobilize people on the staff, like, let's talk more about race and more, more how divided we can be as a country and as neighborhoods and, and some of Seattle's own segregated past and, and talking about that. And we, we went to meet with some other pastors in the area. And they said, it's great you want to talk now, Bethany, but where have you been? Where have you been? And we just had to just say, well, you know, we, we're here now. And so... Some of us went to a conference about a month ago down at Mount Zion Baptist Church where the Union Gospel Mission put together, bringing churches together from the Rainier Valley and from Shoreline and Renton and Bellevue and just to gather and pray and to lament some of the division in our city and to worship together. People of every skin tone and every tradition, it was beautiful. And there's an outflow. We said, you know, let's, let's mobilize some, some pastors up in the community that I, I shepherd up in Shoreline. Let's, let's kind of bring people together and talk about race we put this invite out to 60 pastors and in came the response, Seattle doesn't have a race problem. And I said, well, maybe you think not yet because we don't see the violence on the cover of the newspaper, but some of my friends who are minorities would disagree with you quite a bit. And so of 60 invites, we gathered with 15 last week to just pray about next steps for us to live in a disrupted world. And for us to practice justice and how we, as different races, called to worship the same God. And here, I, I want to kind of transition us to a practical step number two. Because this week, as I was researching and praying about justice and mobilization, I came across this interesting quote from N.T. Wright in his book on justice and evil, the evil and the justice of God. And Wright says, if you want to be people of justice, and I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to just underline, and I'm like a you know, are we going to protest? Are we going to, you know, what are we going to do? You know, he said, you need to forgive people. Because Jesus doesn't just tell us to, to, to love our neighbor. He tells us to pray for those who persecute us and to forgive others. And if we're people trying to, you know, do justice across the world or across our neighborhoods, but we have violence in our own hearts, friends, we're, we're fooling ourselves. That calls us to forgive others and from that place of mutual forgiveness say, you've wronged me, but you know, I, I want to let go of this hurt so that we together can focus on reconciliation. That calling us to radical forgiveness because of this call to radical justice. And that moves us to our third point of the outline, the hope. Where, do we, where, where in the world, where in the world do we get the power to actually love our neighbor? It's in Jesus. 
Where in the world do we actually get the power and the call to forgive people that have wronged us? It's in Jesus. And Jesus tells us that, that our lives are, are, are called to be people of great justice. Before, before Jesus had even walked the earth, the foreshadowing of Jesus in, in Isaiah 42, this is what Isaiah 42 says, 1 through 7, that, that here is my servant, Isaiah says, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. He's talking of Jesus, the coming, the coming incarnation of the Christ. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. You get the point. This was the core ethos of Jesus being, bringing justice on earth. To people that didn't earn it, and calling all people to practice acting out injustice in the radical love of one another, one another. And so when we serve the poor and the widow and the marginalized and the downcast, we are doing justice. And I would say we are worshiping Christ through acts of obedience and justice. Keller again on the subject. Jesus taught that a lack of concern for the poor is not a minor lapse, but reveals that something is seriously wrong with one's spiritual compass, the heart. And so how is your heart this evening? Does your heart still believe that you're called to act in issues of injustice in our society, in our state, in our city, in your neighborhood, in your heart. God's calling us over and over again to be people of justice. How do we know? Well, Matthew 25, in Jesus' last sermon, we get a pretty clear idea. I used to be an English teacher in LA, so you know, I'd always talk about the power of great conclusions and the, the emphasis in a thesis statement to you know, that last line of your introduction. Students are like, yes. You know, that last line, man, that thesis statement's gotta be good and your paper's gotta take us somewhere. There's gotta be a fitting conclusion. So in Jesus' final night on, on well, one of his last nights on earth, but his final message in Matthew 25 before the Last Supper, Jesus gives this, this impassioned speech about the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, says Jesus, and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came after me. You came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty? When did we do those things? And the king will reply in verse 40 of Matthew 25, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the sermon goes on to tell the converse story about people who did not act with justice. And Jesus said that they would be cast aside. Because here's the thing I really need you to hear, friends, is that our heart for the most vulnerable 
reveals our beliefs about the Most High. Our heart for the most vulnerable reveals our beliefs for the Most High. And the world cares less about what we think and more about what we do, not trying to earn our way into God's kingdom, but as recipients of great grace. God's saying, open your hands and see the most vulnerable that I will put in your path. And out of that place of obedience, practice justice. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. I'm like, yes, but how, right? But how? We're busy people. I mean, I don't care if you're retired or you're a college student. We all feel tremendously busy. There is never a time where you're like, wow, I'm now never busy. It just doesn't happen, right? We're busy people. And I often will say people would rather give me $100 than the hour of their time. But justice requires something of us. And so we need to be people of justice. And, and if this is going to truly be something not just that we think about, something that mobilizes our heart and moves through our hands and our feet and encourages us to take steps, steps of justice, what does that look like? How do we do justice like Micah 6.8 says? A friend of mine told me a story. She's, she's very busy. She's a mother of three. She's an architect. She's involved in her community. And she said, I, I was in Everett, and I was, I was waiting for a meeting, and you know, I got my, um, my $15 coffee and breakfast sandwich from Starbucks, and I walk outside, and, and there's a guy flying the sign, saying, hungry, thirsty. I'm like, what'd you do? Did you go back in and give him a coffee, and then like, get in your car like maybe I would have done? She said, no. She said, I invited him in, and I said, can we sit down and have a cup of coffee together? Because doing justice will mean something costs us. And for most of us, that's a challenge because it's time. Do justice, love, mercy. This female leader that I'm a big fan of at World Relief, Ginny Yang, she says this, it's not enough to have our heart in the right place. We might actually need to do something once in a while. So love, mercy, the scriptures say. Mercy and justice are connected we can't do justice without people being people of mercy. And so this can be an opportunity each and every day. Lord, give me a heart of mercy for people I encounter in order to practice justice and, and, and to walk humbly. This is pretty encouraging for me because we use this terminology all the time, like how is your walk, you know, your Christian walk? But if we think of our lives as a walk of obedience with Christ, we can trust the king of heaven to put people in our path to practice justice with. You don't have to feel guilty tonight. You don't have to feel ashamed tonight. Because if God is who he says he is, he is gonna give you opportunities tomorrow morning or Tuesday at 10 or Thursday night to practice justice. You won't have to try very hard. But you will have to keep walking with him. And you will have to keep your eyes open. And you will have to be praying for your heart to be open. To simply practice justice with people that God puts in your path. That's the Good Samaritan story. Good Samaritan doesn't go out of his way for a project on justice. He simply responds to the needs that God puts in front of him. And so I ask you this evening, what needs will God put in front of you? That's the third practical step I really want to encourage you. Engage in just acts in your community, in your sphere of influence, in your dorm room, in whatever place God has placed you. You don't have to go across the world. God, this week, put me in an opportunity to not drive away, 
to get out of the vehicle or to bring the cup of coffee or to engage with the, the most marginalized in order for me to understand more of your love through me, God. Engage in just acts in our community and all of us have different spheres of influence. It's really easy in this day and age to become cynical though, right? It's really easy to get jaded. It's really easy to just say, you know, I'm not sure that, that my voice still matters. But friends, I want to encourage you to be vulnerable, not cynical. There's this guy, Tony Hall. He was the former congressman and former United States ambassador. You're like, hmm, haven't heard of him. That's actually perfect because it's not about him. But this guy, Tony Hall, he, he's, a, he's a government politician, and he ends up in the 90s going to Ethiopia to, to do a humanitarian trip. And so this envoy, they get out to the desert and they're going to this little encampment run by two nuns to help distribute food. And they show up. There's no food left. There's no food to distribute. And then people come on the horizon. Hundreds of people are walking towards them. And the nuns look at them, these government officials, and say, when they arrive, we've got nothing to give them. But will you help us just hold the babies and so Tony says that, you know, people were coming and finding out there was no food and they weren't even complaining. They were just laying down and dying. And he said, I watched 24 children die in 15 minutes and I never got over that. His heart broke there in Ethiopia. But from that brokenness, from that place of hurt, it changed the way that he lived his life. He went back to Washington. He remained engaged in politics. And you're like, wow, that guy is amazing because many of us have no interest in being political. But Tony said, this is my sphere of influence. I want to continue to care for the most marginalized. In 2011, the government cut all funding towards the World Food Program. And Tony said, well, this doesn't work for me. Because when I read Isaiah 58, that God commands us, is this not the fast that I've chosen, Isaiah says, is not to share your bread with the hungry. And so Tony just said, yeah, I don't want to be cynical. I don't know what else to do. He started a fast. He said, I believe that we need to feed people across the world, and I'm going to practice a simple act of civil disobedience. And then the media caught wind of it, and Time Magazine, and 22 days later, his fast encouraged world leaders to gather at the World Bank, and that afternoon, they pledged $100 million to the world's most marginalized people. All because one guy had his heart broken and he didn't get cynical. It's a powerful word for us, right? Because we can be cynical. And the gospel is commanding us to stay engaged and believe that our voice matters and to keep showing up. Like one prophet, Paul Hewson, said, God is with us as we are with them. And this is really the end of the story. This is the culmination that week after week we're in this sermon series. Like, what does the end of the story look like? The end of the story is justice for all. I mean, this is Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he'll dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no more hunger, no more depression, no more addiction, no more. I mean, that's the end of the story. I have friends that have needles stuck in their arms that live under underpasses, overpasses. They're stuck. No more, God says, at the end of the story. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. God's saying, stay engaged with the issues that I want to use to break your heart. 
Stay engaged, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, and practically love your neighbor and forgive people and do just acts. That's what God is commanding us. You know, we, um, you know, we have this space where it's the coffee shop, and, and most time it's just a coffee shop, but several times a year we just we kind of pause the coffee uh, festivities and we, we throw parties. We threw a Thanksgiving party last year. And again, this, this gal, Ginny Yang, who's really prophetic and very wise, she says this, that charity is giving crumbs off our table, but justice, justice is making a spot at your table. And so last year around Thanksgiving time at the junction in our coffee shop, we just made a spot at the table and volunteers brought juice and baked goods and eggs and bacon. Never underestimate the power of bacon. Because for the people that we serve, the most marginalized that are on Aurora getting methadone, replacing heroin in their system, many of them stuck in cycles of addiction and abuse and on this long, slow, messy road of rehabilitation, I don't get a lot of bacon and orange juice and good coffee served by people of the church sitting around a table. And so we had this party and we're serving this food and they're so thankful so thankful for a spot at the table. Thank you for bringing orange juice. You don't know how long it's been. And we're having this breakfast party, and then I look outside, and sure enough, it's the man in the wheelchair. I'm like, oh, Lord, you're going to give me another chance, aren't you? And he's still a difficult one. Again, it's a messy, messy story. But I made him a big plate of food. I said, do you want to come in? He said, no, not right now, but I would love some bacon. And so we had breakfast together on the sidewalk of a little coffee shop on Aurora Avenue North. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Your God is commanding you to step out in faith. Will we listen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the reminder from your scriptures that you care a great deal about how we live and how we walk and how we act. And Father, we pray for hearts that are engaged and stories that continue to believe that our life matters. It matters in our teens, matters in our 20s. Lord, some of us are sitting here in the room tonight in our 60s or 70s. Our life matters. Lord, continue as we wait for the final culmination of things. Continue to engage our hearts in acts of justice. And maybe this get very practical for us tonight, Lord. May you remind us of people on our journey in the days ahead that simply need to us to look in their eyes. People that need us to just smile and acknowledge them. Ways that we can personally participate in, in doing just acts, small acts of justice. But not out of our goodness or our desire to be relevant, but out of your great care for the world's poor and marginalized. Or teach us what it means to love the least of these. In your name we pray. Amen. Tonight, as every night, we will get a chance to practice communion together. And this is the greatest opportunity to practice justice because at a level, we're not worthy on our own to approach this table. But because Jesus died and gave his life as a ransom for many, we have been called forgiven. We have been called reconciled. And so on the night in which he's betrayed, Jesus took his, his body and he, or his bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. 
And he took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Drink, all of you. And so as we practice communion tonight, there's gluten-free in the blue and, and regular crackers here and juice. We're going to move in a counterclockwise fashion. But may you hear the words of your Savior saying to you, you're good enough and you're forgiven. I'm calling you to action in loving the people of my world. The table is now open. Let me pray over these elements. Father God, thank you so much for the great gift of communion. Thank you that your son came and lived and died for us and gave his body for us as a ransom for many. And he came alive for us at Easter Sunday, Lord. And he's still alive and waits for the end of days when we will see him face to face. Father, teach us as we wait in the meantime to live these lives where you're calling us to act with justice. Lord, thank you for the great gift of communion available tonight. In your name we pray, amen. The table is now open.